This semester, as y'all know, we've been talking this whole semester, all semester long, except for those three or four when we didn't meet, um, about the story of Scripture. As y'all can probably stand up here, some of y'all, and say what I'm about to say right now, and that's good, is that the Bible from beginning to end is one big story. It's a story about a king who uh, the Bible presents as God. A king who created a good world and who made us as part of that world as humans to live and to flourish and to bring him glory and, and show forth who he is as a good creator. But things got bad with the fall, but then things got better with redemption. When Jesus Christ came and through his life, death, and resurrection brought redemption or freedom from bondage to sin. And that means the world itself is beginning to turn back. That the sin that we see around us and the sin that we see in our own hearts is beginning to be rolled back through this thing called the resurrection of Jesus. Through His life and His death, which, which paid for our sin, His resurrection, which bought and brings and brought new life, things around us are changing. They're becoming better, all things new. And they're pointing forward to one day, Sunday, when all things will be fully made new. That's what we'll call glory or glorification. Um, it is the end game for the story of Scripture. It is what happens um, at the end of time. And it will be forever. It is not the end of time, uh, but as, as our minds consider time, it is what happens at the end, glorification. And I'm going to kind of let you in behind the curtain on my whole purpose of, kind of, of teaching this this semester, and of talking about the story of Scripture all semester, my whole purpose has been this. It's I wanted you, and I want you still, to take your own story. As you think about your life, and as you think about what goes on from day to day, but not only that, what has happened in your past, and what you know to be true about your longings, I hope that you will take your own story and find it assumed in this greater story. That as you acknowledge that that even you yourselves are not as you want to be. That there are things in and about you that are not right, that you see as ugly. Those things which you want to change, some of you feel powerless to change, but nonetheless you want to change them, and you want them to be changed. And so by the, by the virtue of that, it holds out some better, some ideal, some standard of what you were created to be or what you want to be. And so when you feel that tension of, of what's going on inside of you, just let it realize that that, that is, you're feeling the creation aspect of you. That you were made in God's image, pure and holy. In, in, in Adam and Eve, that's what we have. But that we also feel the struggle and the longing of what happens now. And the things we struggle with from day to day and from week to week, and some of us moment to moment, that can be paralyzing and crippling. But you're, both, you're seeing the creation, you're seeing the fall. And many of you, have begun to see redemption at work in your lives. And through what Jesus has done, through His forgiveness offered on the cross, you begin to, to get the sense that you don't have to give in to sin anymore. That though you will at times, that there is a choice there. And you feel it. When some of y'all are faced with those moments of, it's literally, do I do this or not? You have a choice. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us to give us that choice and to give us the freedom, the power to walk away and to put it down or to walk out of that situation or from in front of the computer, or from behind the mirror, whatever it is. The Holy Spirit gives that. He is at work in us. And if you're in Christ, He will continue to do that. 
But He's not going to give up on you. Philippians 1.4 tells us that He who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion at the end, in Christ Jesus, in glory. So He's at work in you. He's pursuing you. But I also want you to feel the weight in the midst of your pessimism and of your skepticism and your cynicism. I want you to feel the weight of hope. Hope of a better one day, someday, when we won't struggle anymore. And when we, will be, when we will be with God forever and all things will be made new. And all things will be right. That things will be glorious. And so it's glory itself. We talked about it a little bit last week. We're going to talk about it again tonight. As we think about this, and right before we read, um, I want some of you guys who I know, you believe part of the gospel. You believe part of it that says, I'm worse off than I ever thought. And some of your experiences and the things you've done this year or this semester have led you to that place where you feel the weight of your sin. And you feel like all you do is struggle and there's never any victory. So you feel that half of the gospel, which is, I'm worse off than I thought. My sin is is coming down on me. It's weighing down on me like nothing else I've ever known. And even though I've been in RUF every week, even though I've been in church, even though I've been reading my Bible or praying, I feel like I'm worse of a person than I used to be. If that's you and that's what you hear about yourself, I want you to hear the second half of the gospel, which is this. You are more loved and accepted in Christ than you could ever hope for. That whenever we're stuck in those moments, you have to keep looking back at Jesus. You have to keep looking at what He did on the cross. You have to keep looking at the resurrection and know that He did it all for you. If you are in Christ, if you're you're holding out and if you're trusting in Him, God cannot love you any more than He already does. We talked about that. That just as He looked at Jesus and said, I'm well pleased in you, my son. That if you're in Christ, if your trust and hope is in Christ, He looks at you and says, I'm well pleased with you. He could be no more happy with you and approving of you than He already is. He is not mad at you anymore. God loves you if you're in Christ. That is yours. That is your heritage. That is your life now. as we think and as we struggle through the things in this life, I want to once more put out a picture of what things will be like. What things will come one day, someday. Let's look down at Revelation 21 and read this, and I'll talk for just a few minutes before we keep singing. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Then the angel showed me, John is writing this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Uh, of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp nor sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let me pray briefly before we consider this. Lord God, I pray one last time this semester that You would pour down Your Spirit on us. Lord, that You would open our hearts and minds to see and behold the beauty and the glory that is You Yourself. That as the King and Creator of this world, and now the Redeemer 
of our lives, that we would look at You and we behold the beauty of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, I pray that He would become more beautiful than He's ever been tonight. Both for for those of us in here who know Him and those of us in here who don't yet know Him. We pray that You would do that in us, that we might see Him as He truly is. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Um, in, a, in a former life, I was a golfer, uh, and I was a pretty good golfer. I'm now paying for that through things like MRIs and steroid injections in my back. But um, I'm not here to tell you about how good of a golfer I am. I want to tell you that uh, how many of y'all play golf, know much about golf at all? Probably, okay, a handful. Uh, so for some of y'all, this will make sense. For the 90% of y'all who didn't raise your hands, um, fair way. Okay, whenever you're playing golf, there are several important things going on. Now, as you stand there at the golf ball before you hit it, there are things that are really important right there. Your grip and the way you stand, all these things are very important. And then when you take the club back, there's certain things that you do and that you don't do if you want the ball to end up down the middle or wherever it is. And then as you come through and as you hit the ball, there's, you want your body to be positioned a certain way for optimal impact so that the ball goes and flies and does all the stuff you want it to do. And you would, be, you would think that once your club hits the ball and it takes off, then you could just kind of come through and hit and just stand here and watch it, right? And it doesn't matter what happens after you hit the ball. But that's not true. Because in golf, the follow-through, after you hit the ball, the follow-through is as important as anything you've done up until that point. It's hugely important to know how the swing ends if you're ever to know where the ball is going to go, where the trajectory of the ball is going to go. Tonight, I want us to look at the end of time. At the one day, someday picture of what God says, this is what it's going to be like. And I don't want us to just kind of hold it out there of like, oh yeah, that's going to be sweet someday. I can't wait till that happens. I want, it to, I want the weight of that, of the follow through of time to bear down on you now so that you can realize that this starts, this starts changing things for us now. That in the midst of the struggle of this world, there is something better to hold on to and to hope in. But we have to know how it ends. And we have to see some of this um, so that our mind can be informed, so that our heart can be informed, so that we can tell ourselves and remind ourselves what's true whenever we struggle to believe it. So here it is. The ending to the story of Scripture is this. Its end, as you see in this passage, is a promise of good life of a full life, a good life, abundant food and and fruit from the tree of life itself. Except it's better. It says, look on both sides of the river. There'll be a a tree of life on both sides of the river. It's amplified. So both as you mind kind of thinking, tree of life, that's in Genesis. Yes. That it's a return to innocence. It's a return to that time when, when man was with God in perfect communion. Except this says it's going to be better that the tree will be on both sides of the river. There will be multiple trees of life. And there will be life-giving. Right? Uh, and then you see that sin and brokenness and all that are accursed are no more. And you'll be with your Savior, uh, your Savior forever. Your shame will be gone. Your embarrassment is gone. All of the night is gone. And as much as we think about ourselves and kind of uh, existentially, what will it be like for me one day, that all my problems will be gone, and that I won't have any tears, and all of that. I want us to look at this text a little bit differently, and see that the thrust of this passage is on someone else. It's on someone else, and it's a, if we're going to fix our gaze on Him, then it will change everything now. 
It will change everything. Let's look down in verses 1 and 2. It says, The river of the water of life is flowing from the throne. From the very kingly throne of God and of the Lamb. The sacrificial Lamb. Jesus Christ. That Jesus is now seated in heaven. And when the new heavens and the new earth come down, they will be on the throne. And the significance of the water of life flowing from them is this. That this is the only source of life. This is the only source of true life is from God Himself. We talked earlier this semester about how we pursue false gods. And we pursue false idols and give ourselves to all sorts of other things. But in the end, how those things are like a broken cistern. That our life will just seep out of the bottom of them because they were never meant to give us what only God can give us. He is the water of life. And the water of life flows from His very throne. And you have access to it now through Christ by application of the Spirit in your hearts. And one day, if you are a Christian, this will be a forever reality for you. It will be life itself, fullness of life forever. What does our world ultimately need? It needs life. As you look around and as you know friends, perhaps even family, you look and you see the things that, the, that, that people pursue I have a friend just the other night I was talking to, and I was actually talking to him about supporting RUF. And um, I, I don't think he knows Jesus, and that's fine. Um, and he wanted to support us anyway. But he was talking to me, and you kind of got the sense of his goal in life. He said, you know, I think I can have a net worth of a million dollars by the time I'm 32. And he probably will, because he's smart and he's good at what he does. And I couldn't help but sitting there thinking, that will never be enough. Because guess what happens when you hit a million? You want two million, you want five million, you want and it's just this perpetual goal that leads to what? Ten million dollars? I mean, nothing. You may have everything, but it will be empty because it's a chasing after the wind. It's fleeting. Because you never get to the source of life, which is in God, coming from his throne, from the king himself. And at this tree, this water that comes from the tree, there are waters of healing. And many of you, I know your stories, you need healing. Whether physically, emotionally, certainly, spiritually, many of you, you need healing. But not just you. Friends, we live in a world that needs healing. There seemingly is a new war starting every day. With oppositions rising up and all of this stuff. And some of them may be good that they're rising up. But it is... And people, are getting, people are dying, they're killing their brothers and all this stuff. The nations are at war. And Ezekiel, which is really interesting, this passage about the healing water comes from the prophet Ezekiel. And what he was talking about, he prophesied there would be a day when water would flow into the Dead Sea, which is literally that. It's the, the, low, is it the lowest place on earth. Uh, one of the lowest places on earth. Um, but what it is, is that the mineral content in that water is 30%. It's Literally heavy water. You can't see through it. It's just, it's nasty. Nothing lives in that water. And the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about a day where the water of life would flow into even the Dead Sea and that things would live. And that that water would be healing for the nations. And he was foretelling this time at the end whenever the water of life will flow out from the throne of God. And the world will be healed ultimately as it was meant to be in the beginning. 
as we continue on, verse 3 and 4 tell us that when we're in the presence of God, nothing will be accursed. Nothing will be accursed. Look down real quick. It says, No longer will there be anything in a curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And friends, and though you struggle now to believe, and though you struggle now to hope in what is not seen. Last time I checked, we're not walking around actually seeing Jesus uh, these days. If you are, let me know. Um, and I need some of that. Um, we struggle now. Because right now, we are living in an age of faith. The resurrection is a historical fact. But we have to believe that it's true. You have to accept it by faith. We don't see the reality of what is happening and has happened in this world already. We can read about it. Some of us know it in our hearts, but we don't yet see it. But it says one day we will see God's face. And there's something about beholding the very face of God and of Jesus that will make everything right. That though you now see dimly and hope for it dimly, Friends, one day, someday, you will behold your Savior's face. And you can ask Him things like, why did you let me go through that? Why didn't you just take that away? It was so hard. And He'll say something like, because it made you depend on me more. So that now when you see me, you can worship me and you can see that I knew what I was doing all along. That that is what God is calling us to. He's calling us to Himself. And to a full faith and trust in Him. We will see His face one day. His mark will be on our heads. We will be fully adopted as sons and daughters. There will be no doubt in your minds, in anyone else's minds, no one will tell you what is not true of you. You will be a son and a daughter of the living God, the King. And in verse 5, finally, though this world proves to be dark now, and though night has overcome your soul at at times this year, and for some of y'all again and again and again, there will be no more night. There will be no more dark. For the Lord God Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the King in all of His beauty will be there. And it says that we won't need the sun. We won't need the sun. And if you'll remember in the beginning, before God created the sun and the moon, there was light. That God's presence Himself is light. The Shekinah glory is what the Scripture talks about. God Himself radiates with purity and goodness, and that is enough to light up the whole world. And friends, there will be no more night. No more night for our souls. No more night of wondering, am I ever going to get through this? No, because you will be with God. You will be with Him forever. That will be your hope. That will be your hope realized one day. Last thing, as you finish the semester in study, and as you're getting ready for summer, and as you're kind of looking back maybe on the year, maybe you haven't started doing that yet, I encourage you to. I encourage you to maybe have some time uh, after you finish tests to think back on the year and maybe even write down, journal, something, and talk about what God has done. You don't have to give it to anybody. Just probably do it for yourself. God, what have you done? Has He done anything? Has it been a stagnant year? I don't know. Remember these two things, though. As you think about this and as you get ready for the summer, I want you to remember the first thing. That this is a promise if you believe the gospel. This is a promise. That you're worse than you thought tonight because of sin. 
but you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever hoped for because of what Jesus has done. That is the gospel. That's the story of Scripture. That's the message. You're worse off because of your sins. So look, the things you do and the things you think, they shouldn't surprise you. It's kind of like Allison said, just kind of get over yourself and realize that the world's still going to turn uh, when you do things. But also realize the second half, which many of you struggle to believe, that you are loved and accepted in Christ. That Christ has come and ransomed and redeemed your soul from that bondage of only believing the first half. He said, no, you can believe the second half now because of what I've done for you on the cross. And the second thing I want, I want you to remember. So remember the gospel. Secondly, remember this. That Jesus is enough for you. That He is enough. Brent, what does that mean? It means that He gives you what your grades and your looks and your friends and your acceptance and your resume and your parents and whatever it is that you are holding out to to make you happy. Jesus gives you what you think you can get from those other places. And only Jesus can give you that. He is the only source of life. He is the only source of life. When you have nothing else to hold on to, and when your story looks dim, open the Bible, read this story. Look at what is true. Remember, let the Gospel come over you again, maybe for the first time. And let it refresh you. Let it renew you. The King of the world left His heavenly throne there in perfection. He didn't need to... He had everything He needed. He wasn't lonely. He had perfect communion, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the King of the world left His throne to come and to redeem you from your bondage and from the ruthless rulers that go about this world looking to take you into their kingdoms. The King of the universe, the only true King, has come to bring people into His kingdom. Some of you are in. Some of you are not. The door is open now. The King has let the gate down and the gate is His Son. And He said, come across. Run now while the gate's down. I'll let you in. Jesus paid for it for you, but come in now. Because there will come a day when the gate goes up. And there won't be the chance anymore. He commands you, though, to come as you are. He says, you don't, don't go out and try to get your life together and then come in. He said, no, no, don't do that. Because once you get your life together, you, you'll forget that you need Me. Come in through Jesus. Broken, messed up, scattered, shattered, whatever it is that you hear and think about yourself, come in through Christ and Christ alone. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. That's why it's free. That's why it's grace. That's the whole message, is that Christ has done it for you. And when you get into that kingdom, when you behold God Himself, he gives you the greatest gift of all. Himself. You behold your Savior face to face. You no longer wonder what you were made for. You no longer wonder who you are, what you were created to do. 
because you're in the presence of God Himself. And your life will be vanished into His. And you will, you will get, you will experience, you will know fullness of life. Would you have Him as your God, as your King, as your lover, as your Jesus? Would you have Him? Let's stand and we're going to close and we're going to read verse 5 together as we stand and close tonight. And then I'll pray for us. Revelation 22, verse 5. Let's read together. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. King Jesus, I pray that You would make this a reality for us. That You would capture our stories in the greater story. And that we may realize that You are calling us toward heaven. You are calling us heavenward so that one day You may bring that heaven down to earth and that we may rule with You over this earth forever and ever as we were created to in the beginning. But it will be more beautiful because You have come and redeemed us from the pit. Oh Lord, let our hearts long for that. Let us get a taste of that glory now as we experience You in Your church and in Your Word and in prayer and in singing in all of these ways. Lord, most of all, we want You. We pray that You would be enough for us. Would You do that now by the power of Your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and sing. Um.